Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Hey, what's happening? Mike Schmidt, 40-Year-Old Boy podcast. A little different, I know, with no opening music. I'm coming at you cold, coming at you dry, as we call in the business. No cold open or no theme song or however you want to term it. I, don't think, I guess the theme song is a cold opener. I guess no, technically it's not. A cold open is before the theme song. That would be like, uh, well, actually, I guess this is a cold open. Hold on a second. Let me double back. In, uh, and go ahead and talk about show business some more because I don't know if you're aware of this. I have a fingernail in show business. I used to think I had a pinky in show business. Now I, I barely have a fingernail in, but it's enough for me to know that as I talk about this and I hear myself out that this is a cold open without a theme song. Uh, it is also uh, a show I've, I've avoided doing. I didn't want to do this show this week. Um, you know, I, I just, uh, I didn't. So that's why we're doing this Wednesday night. Uh, <laughs> you know, I tried Monday. I, well, fuck no, that's even, that's even a lie. I, I didn't try. I mean, I, I in my brain, I kept telling myself to do it. Uh, you know, last week's show was late, and I apologize for that. But I, I you know, this week, Monday, I was like, all right, you know, you got to do a show. Um, but after, I, I had a weekend that made me not want to talk, made me not want to do a show, made me not want to do this show in particular. Um, but... You know, you gotta, because you're an adult, you know, I'm 51 years old and, and you, you process things and you deal with them and you work your way through. I, th- I guess I'm lucky in a way to have this platform and I, I hope it doesn't come off as indulgent. You know, um, you guys have been very cool and you're always there for me when I have uh, good things, bad things. And I, I don't want this, this won't turn into some maudlin festival. Um, mainly because there's only one person here. <laughs> I can't see a festival happening with just one guy. That's not a festival. That's a, that's a one man show. And that's what we've got going here. Um, you know, I, I, again, I didn't want to do the show. I avoided it. And I, and I know you're thinking, well, what's different about that, buddy? You do it all the fucking time. Well, no, I, I'd done a pretty good job of wrangling myself before last week. And, uh, it's, it's. You know, as you get older, just time flies so fast. It just it just goes by, and it seems like you know Wednesday's here again. It just it just happened. Uh, I didn't expect it, and I, I was I spent a lot of the last five days overwhelmed. Um, and I didn't think I would be, you know, but I but I was, and and also that comes from not having anyone. You know, I can reach out. I can call people, I suppose. And, uh, you know, I, I walked outside. I felt the sun on my face. I threw cold water on my face. Um, all things to register, you're still uh, functioning. You're still, you're okay. Even though you're not on the inside. And again, I, and I'm not, I'm not trying to trivialize. It's funny, when you talk about these things, you wind up getting into your own brain and going, well, are you, you know, is, is this performative? Is this something that's, that's constructive? I... You know, I, I avoided doing a lot of this online because I don't see the point in doing a lot of this online anymore. And I know for some people it's cathartic and they want to do this sort of thing online. And fuck, who am I kidding? I'm doing this now, which is essentially my version of online. This is my own. Uh, this is my, I'm human Facebook right now. This is me. Uh, 
Um, this is my Facebook post. This is my tweet. This is my Instagram story. And I'm lucky enough to have brought it to you for the last 11 years through good and through bad. You know, we dealt with uh, a lot of different things. But but the last five days were, were certainly tough and a challenge. And, uh, and, and I didn't want to do this show. But as I said, you you do things, and like I said, I don't. I'm not going to turn it into a big, you know, boohoo fucking festival. Although it might, who knows? I don't. Maybe I, I'm avoiding talking about what I want to talk about. Can you tell? Can you tell right now? I probably should have just had a fucking theme song in here. Uh, if anything, just to take the edge off for 35 seconds or 40 seconds or however long it is. But uh, I'll recap. You know, and it's funny. I always think again. I, I see things through the prism of Facebook, or I see things through the prism of Twitch these days. When people are there and they see me and they hear me, and I got to realize that again, this is this is job one. The podcast is where most people know me, and the podcast is where most people consume me and my product. And uh, so I have to spell out why I'm. You know, I've, I've talked. I've avoided talking about the, the, what I would call uncomfortable subject matter for long enough. And now, Hey, here we go. Let's dive headlong into the thing. I didn't want to talk about things. I didn't want to talk about the stuff. I didn't want to cover the stuff I've been avoiding. Like I said, a rough, um, five days and and certainly more rough for other people. You know, again, I don't, I don't mean to, Hey, look at me, this grief, uh, there were certainly people who were closer to uh, to the subjects I'm going to discuss, but I this is my show, and we deal with me and how I feel. Um, last Friday, I uh, I did a video game Twitch. You know, I do the Twitch stream. If you're not aware of that, I do it. Uh, and I was doing a Twitch stream on Friday afternoon, and I started at three o'clock, and usually. Uh, you know, if you haven't been to the Twitch stream, here's what happens. I'm spo- I tell people to show up at three because I'm going to be playing God of War or some nonsense. And, uh, and, and then people show up at three and then I wind up talking to them uh, on screen for like 30 minutes. There's usually <laughs> a 30 minute preamble before I even play a video game, which I'm very lucky because the regulars are people who listen to this podcast and they want to hear from me and they enjoy me talking. But at the same time, there are new people pop their head in and go, hey, look, Batman, who the fuck is this guy? Why won't he shut up? You know, that sort of thing where they're I'm sure they're just looking in and, uh, you know, they're not they're not interested in me or the things that I have to say. They're coming to watch Batman do a somersault. And and here's just me talking about fucking sandwiches. And they're like, what the fuck is going on with this guy, man? So, uh you know, the preamble, whatever, the ramp up, whatever. I used to call this the ramp up on the show, but I would call it a preamble on Twitch because God knows language is important. <laughs> uh, so Friday, I'm on Twitch and it's three o'clock. It's in the middle of the preamble. It's like 3.15. And I should tell you this. I talked about it on the podcast a little bit last week where I've, I've been following very closely. You know, I'm a Philadelphia Phillies baseball fan and they are trying to sign one of the best baseball players in in the league in the world his name's Bryce Harper and there were just snippets of news coming out every day and none of them said anything that was true as far as you know it was just rumors i mean nothing confirmed anything he didn't sign anywhere but so it was just that thing where he might sign here he might not sign here he likes philadelphia he hates philadelphia he likes cheesesteak fuck cheesesteak you know a lot of that back and forth bullshit but i immersed myself in it and uh, along with the fan of the show, Ruben, he, he and I will, will go back and forth a lot, a lot in the chat room of Twitch. 
and we'll talk about Bryce Harper. So it's this thing where I I wind up attuned to it, and I, I and and it's it's just a constant thing. I check, you know, first thing in the morning, I check the Phillies Twitter uh, Twitter Twitter accounts to see where we're at. So um, I'm in the Twitch stream. And uh, it's like 3.20. And I'm talking, I don't know what the, again, I'm talking, I could be talking about anything in the fucking world. I don't know what I was discussing. And uh, in the chat room, I'll see things in the chat room that I address them on, on microphone. You know, they can see me on screen, but I can see their chats. And so someone said, hey, Mike, have you been to Twitter? I said, I have not. You know, not since like a half hour before the show here. And I'm like, uh-oh, I have the Philly sign Harper. And everybody's like, no, it's no big deal. I said, okay. And I started talking. And uh, I believe a second person came. And I think it was Colette was my friend. She might have been the first person. And then another person wrote, uh, hey, Mike, have you seen Twitter? And in my and then I went, all right, now you guys are just fucking with me. I mean, I, there's they didn't sign Harper, right? And everybody's like, no, they didn't. They didn't sign Harper, but don't worry about it. I'm like, all right, well, I just, I, you can't, don't fuck with me because I'm going to turn on Twitch because that's the thing. It's the Twitch usually takes minimum four hours, sometimes five. Here's what I did Sunday. I did a nine and a half hour Twitter stream. Uh, and that was mainly because I didn't want to think about the real world at all on Sunday. It was the culmination of what a, what was a you know a bad weekend, which has turned into five weird days. Um. So I uh, you know I saw that in the chat room. Like I, I go, dude, don't fuck with me. If they sign Harper, you got to tell me. And I'm about to jump in here for like four hours or five hours, and I need to know. And I was teasing everybody, and and then finally a third person. I think it was actually Ruben, and he was like, Hey, have you seen Twitter? And I went, all right, fuck this. Now I'm checking. Now I got to find out what's going on. And they're like, no, don't worry about it. I go, no, no, bullshit. If they sign Harper, I have to fucking know. Uh, and I guess people didn't want, wouldn't want to break it to me in the stream. I, I couldn't figure it out. I didn't know. But I grabbed my phone and I, I signed in to Twitter. And, uh, you know, the, I saw nothing about the Phillies up top. And I scrolled down. And so I, I go, all right, well, go to, and I went to trending topics. And I saw the name Brody Stevens, who's my friend. And I, and immediately that thing happens in your brain where, you know, if somebody's trending on Twitter, the first thing you think of is, well, they're dead. Um, Because it's always some celebrity. Whenever you see some odd celebrity, like if you you open Twitter and Val Kilmer is is trending, you're like, well, either he called somebody the N-word or he's dead. I mean, it's like nobody, you never, ever trend on Twitter for a good thing. Nobody, nobody ever cures lupus and gets their name in the fucking, the, the trending tweets. Um, it's always because you got milkshake duck then what the fuck so I saw Brody's name and, and like I said Brody's my friend and uh, so I kind of froze and I just tapped his name and the first thing I saw was uh, a tweet where somebody just went I can't fucking believe my friend is gone and I <laughs> I, I just I looked at the phone and I went and I just went <gasps> and I went oh no I think I don't remember exactly what I did and in what order, but I know it knocked the fucking wind out of me for me to see that my friend had committed suicide. And I wasn't, um, you know, I, I reacted to the phone. I was looking, I was reading, I was scrolling. And then in my brain, there was something that went, Hey, you're, uh, you're on television right now. And that was true because when you're on Twitch, there's a camera on and people can see you. So I had, you know, I didn't have a lot of people in the chat room, maybe 30. Uh, I'm not sure how many, 30 to 40. 
but it was enough people who were watching me react in real time to the death of my friend. And that was fucking bizarre. And, uh, and then I said, oh no. And I don't, I don't recall what I said, but people were very kind in the chat room and they said, look, if you need to stop this and go away, that's fine. And, and, uh, and I probably should have, you know, and, and look, let me say this. I'm going to, well, I, I'll get into this in a, in a minute. I probably should have just because it was, um, just to, just to educate myself, but also, um, if he's gone, he's gone. I mean, there's nothing I can do. And also I should say that again, Brody, you know, not my best friend, uh, my friend, a guy I knew, a guy I genuinely enjoyed, a guy I would see all the time because he lived in my neighborhood. Uh, it's so weird to have a comedian that I saw more outside of comedy and clubs than, than to see him at, at work. You know, I, I saw him at Starbucks all the time because he went to the Starbucks at Laurel Canyon and Riverside, which is near my house. Um, it, when I know I say when I saw him there, I never, you know, I didn't go in there. I, I wasn't a coffee drinker, but I would drive by and I'd see him sitting out there. And every time I did, I would roll the window down and I would just go, enjoy it. And he would just look up and he'd go, Schmidt. Um, or he'd say third base Phillies. He would, he would just say something dumb. You know what I mean? <laughs> you know, focus Schmidt traffic. And I mean, he would, he would say something crazy, positive, but po- he would just do his thing that he does. Um, or I'd see him at my Gelson's. That's, that's my favorite thing is that there, you know, Gelson's is right across the street. So I, that Gelson's I would see him in because I'd go get, get a sandwich in the deli or whatever. And, uh, you'd be walking through and he'd just be like potato chip aisle, Mike Schmidt headlining. <laughs> um, just, just silliness because that's, that's who Brody was as a guy. Outwardly, I mean, clearly inside there was so much going on. And if you saw his Comedy Central show or you saw the HBO show, you saw that he 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 was very naked about it. I mean, he you know, he had the breakdown in 2011. And uh, I, I used to make the joke because, he, he you know, he did, went off his meds and then he didn't sleep, I think, for three days. And he just went on this manic tweet run. And I think it said to part of it at one point, I go, well, I know I you know, I now I, I knew Brody was really in trouble because he was tweeting from the wrong Starbucks. Because he was up at one on Ventura Boulevard near Coldwater Canyon. And I was like, this is not this is not him. You know something's amiss if he's at the wrong fucking Starbucks. Um But I would see him, you know, he'd he walk, he would get his steps in. As a matter of fact, the last periscope he ever did, uh he still used periscope. What a fucking sweetheart. The last periscope he ever did, you can find it online. I think someone tweeted it out and he was walking through my neighborhood, getting his steps in. Uh, the same route I would walk if I were to walk from my house, if I wasn't so fat and lazy and I ever walked to my bank, he would, he, cause my bank was right across the street from his fucking, his Starbucks. So he was obviously walking there. Um, but just, but just a genuine person and a good guy. And, uh, and so for me to see that and then to see it live in front of everybody, it was awkward and strange and it was awkward and strange for everybody. I mean, they were very kind and very nice, but you know, you're, you're peeking in at, at what is essentially a private moment and I could have handled it better. You know, I, I was surprised. I was shocked and I, I reacted the way I would have reacted if I was alone. And then all of a sudden it dawned on me, fuck dude, you're on camera here. You know, you gotta, you gotta fucking, what are you doing? And I could have signed off and I could have bailed, but instead I chose to tell some stories about Brody, uh, and I'm gonna I'm gonna share, um, 
you know, a couple, I'll show them. I, I don't, I think I told both of these on, on, on the air. Um, but Brody was, uh, he was a guy, he, here's, here's the thing. It was funny. Graham Elwood posted something on Instagram and it was, a, it was a tweet from, oh, it was a guy, you know what it was? It was Joe Madden of the Chicago Cubs. Because if you don't know anything about Brody, again, he was a comedian, but also he was a baseball player. That was his whole deal. He played at Arizona State, and he made friends with real baseball players, like guys who went on to coach in the majors. Uh, here's who Brody is. You know, Zelig, like, he would go to spring training, and he would hang out in the bullpen, and he would hang out with the Cubs because he was genuinely friends with them. He wasn't, they didn't look at him like, who's this fucking annoying comedian? No, he was such a good guy. Um an outwardly warm presence and a positive person that the Cubs liked having him around. There were guys who were his friends, and then there were other people who became his friends. I mean, he was friends with the whole team to the point where he actually rode in the 2016 World Series Championship Parade. He was on a float. And and I love that he got to experience that. I can't imagine as an athlete who did not achieve all he wanted to athletically to be involved in something that was the pinnacle of his sport had to be beautiful. I never got to talk to him about it, and I regret it. Um... Because again, that's 2016 and that's how long it had been since I saw my friend because I don't do clubs. I don't go out. Uh, I see him here. You know what I mean? I, I, I Like I said, I would see him at Starbucks or I'd see him at Gelson's. But at that point, you're just walking past one another, you know, and, and, and also Brody was, um he wasn't exactly, he was very open about his, his situation on his shows, but it wasn't like you could look at him and have a long talk, you know, and just go, Hey, let's talk about you and your weird depression and what's going on. And are you okay? And you just don't think to ask those things. At least I didn't. And I didn't then. I will now. But also at the same time, is that is that about me or about them? Because if you do that thing where you reach out to somebody and you're like, hey, man, I, I, I hope you're okay. Are you okay? What's going on? Are you, are you depressed? Are you sad? I, you know, that, that person might just look at you and be and say, I, you know, what are you going to do for me? I got pills that are supposed to help me. What are you going to do? You know, because you always hear that thing, reach out to somebody, see something, say something. You reach out and, and if you see somebody who's not feeling good or you want to go ahead and try to be there for them. Well, I mean, sometimes people don't want you to be there for them. Sometimes people hide in their apartment. Sometimes people don't answer the door or the phone. Sometimes people go off their meds. And sometimes people do things that they shouldn't. Um, Brody... So, so Graham posted the video of the manager of the Cubs, Joe Madden, at his press conference talking about the camp. And then he said, oh, and our friend Brody. And then he, he talked about Brody for a good you know, minute, minute and a half, talking about how it had devastated the team. And they were, they were looking forward to him coming the next week and how upset they were to lose him. And Graham posted that video. And, you, you know, you don't. I, again, I knew Brody. I saw him at the grocery store, and I saw him in clubs, and I saw him crush in fucking clubs. Um, but to see him spoken of on a national scale like that uh, in such glowing terms by somebody who wasn't really in his industry, it's, it's, it, was, it was amazing, and it made me feel great, but oh my God, also tremendously sad. So sad over the weekend. I was so, I don't, I couldn't figure out what was going on. I, I kept crying. And uh, when I would think of him or I would watch a clip of him or I would see something and it has to do with the other things I'll talk about here on the show. But because, again, a weird, just a weird five fucking days, a weird weekend. But um, but but I couldn't shake the feeling of this being such a loss, this being. 
you know, Brody, he was beloved. And that's what I wrote on, on Graham's post. I just said, Jesus, can you think of anyone at all in, in our industry and in comedy who was more universally loved than Brody Stevens? I can't. Because there were people who will, you know, I mean, and look, there are people who are admired and there are people who are respected. Um, and there's certainly big names who are very successful. But you'll always find caddy people. You always find backstabbers. You always find somebody who has something bad to say. I mean, it's you know, it's a caddy industry, fucking entertainment. We're all scrambling in one big fucking crab pile trying to get to the top. And bitterness can creep in if you don't get the thing that you wanted. I was jealous of Brody. I I was. Um, I recognize that has to do with me. That's my problem. Nothing Brody did. Um, you know, he worked hard. I mean, and when I say worked hard, I mean that's all he did. If you know, and I think. You know, and now seeing what has happened, you know, he did his whole thing was based on positive push and positive energy and pushing forward. I think a lot of that he did also for himself to make sure that he focused on staying alive. It wasn't a bit. That's that's the most amazing thing. You know, you saw Brody. Yes. Positive push energy. I'm a warm up 818 till I die. He uh, that wasn't a bit. That's who he was. I mean, like I said, you saw him at Gelson's, you saw him at Starbucks, or you saw him in a fucking club, or you saw him in a bullpen with his friends or on a parade float. That's who fucking Brody Stevens was. And there's so much phony in what we do, and there's so much of a front you have to put up so you don't offend somebody who might be famous someday and could be in a position to give you a job. There's a lot of that, man. And, you know, it's just like anybody's job, where you got to be nice to the boss. you got to be nice to... Anyone, because eventually they could be the boss. You know, all that, all that stuff is creeping around. And in comedy, it's even worse. Because, I mean, you can get fucking whacked out of something really quick. You know, Brody had a, he had a period a couple of years ago where he was in a real, he was having a real problem with these festival organizers because he would go, he toured with Chappelle. The guy did stadiums with fucking Chappelle and, and Burr and those guys. And then he wasn't getting paid. And he, he, he was the squeaky wheel. He went on Twitter and he, he talked about it, how they didn't pay him and they didn't give him any money. And I can remember thinking at the time, Jesus, Brody, this is fucking, you got to watch it, man. What are you doing here? But then in my brain, I'm like, well, fuck, he's more successful than you are. So maybe he knows what the fuck he's doing, man. <laughs> and I couldn't reach out. I didn't know him that well to go, hey, man, you should throttle it down. I'm sure he had friends to do that because he's friends with Zach and Sarah and everybody else. I mean, Zach was his best friend in comedy. Um, but when I saw that post from Graham, I said, do you, can you think of anyone who is more universally beloved in what we do? Because again, even, even, you know, I, I, any name you could think of someone's jealous or catty or thinks they're a hack or they did these, you know, everybody, it's an industry born on the sharp knives wielded by the people who participate in it. And nobody had the knives out for Brody. He was he was and he was beloved at the store, just like he was beloved at the improv, just like he was, he was beloved at the UCB. He was a fucking tornado. He um he did one of the best sets I've ever seen in my life. One of the, one of the five best sets got to be in in the history I've ever seen. It reminded me. Um, you know, I used to tour with Jimmy all the time and on the nights when Jimmy had it, Jimmy fucking had it, had it. I should say he was always great. Jimmy's always been great. Jimmy never mailed anything in Pardo, but he, um, he had some nights where you're like, this is, this is a fucking home run. I mean, this is ridiculous how good it is. And I got to see Brody do a, do a set like that one time. Um, you know, he was he was a warm up who did a bunch of warm ups for TV shows. You know, tying him in with Pardo, I, I, 
you know, I went to Jimmy Pardo's taping one time. Jimmy did a pilot. And, uh, you know, Christian Finnegan was on it, Pete Holmes. There were a lot of big names because that's how they put together a pilot. They try to get the best comedians, the best names, the biggest names they possibly can. And, uh, and I was nursing some bruises over not being asked to participate. You know, I was, I, you know, um, because, you know, I, I, <laughs> I did a thing where like, I always wanted to kind of be in any Jimmy project and it kind of, it caused problems actually. You know, he, he would get something going on in my mind. I'd be like, is there a spot for me here? Is a spot for me here? And it's like, now that I look back on it, I go, man, that was fucking greedy and wrong. And I probably came off like a real stiff prick trying to get myself into a fucking shoehorned project that he had for himself. And then what am I going to get myself a writing gig or a this gig? I, I, yeah, whatever. But that night I was there, I was in the audience to support. You know, it wasn't, it wasn't about that. I was there to have a good time and support my friend. And, uh, and Brody did the warm up because again, when you're doing a pilot, you want it to be the best it possibly can. So they went and got Brody, who was the best warm up guy in the fucking world. Cause that's a hard, thankless gig. And his relentless positivity always made it look fucking easy. So he, uh, he's doing warm up. He's hanging out all that. So finally the taping ends and there's this weird thing after like any comedy show at least and and look when i say it's weird i'm speaking solely from my perspective other comedians may not feel this but when you haven't been involved in a successful show and you're floating around the periphery of it you want to kind of hang out with the all the comics and but they're all getting their shine you know they're all they're all getting the rub from having done a great show when we did jimmy's one man show it was me and pat and jimmy and uh and when it ended we're all kind of hanging around we're greeting everybody and talking and there's a room full of other comedians and, uh, and I know when I was one of those other comedians, I would always be, I would always be weird. Like I didn't want to approach the guys in the show because I didn't want to look like I was stepping on their thing, but you had to tell them they did a good job and, but you had to turn away and you had to walk, you know, you didn't want to hog their time, even though you're, they're your great friends at the same time, this is their moment. You don't want to fucking intrude on it. But there's also that thing where you're like, Hey, I'm funny. I'm, I can hang. I know these guys. And, and at least that's what I have inside of me. So, uh, that show ended the pilot taping and there was the thing where everybody's milling about on stage and it's, you know, Jimmy and his agent just are, they're talking and, uh, I believe Pat was there with me and I, I, Karen was with me too. There's my ex, my ex-wife, Karen and Brody and, and Christian Finnegan, like I said, Pete Holmes. And I, I forget there were other, there were a couple of other real names and, uh, and they're all on the stage talking and I'm, I'm not on the stage, but I'm lurking. And, uh, you know, I'd like to talk to my friend Jimmy and, and tell him good job, but he's getting glad handed by everybody. But also I'd like to come up and schmooze a little bit. Like I'm a comedian because there's that thing inside you where everything's a green room. You want to bust balls. You want to have fun. You want to trade. And also there's a look at me involved in what I did. Uh, I wanted to meet Christian Finnegan and Pete Holmes. I had met Pete Holmes once before and he was, it was, it had, uh, it's not that it didn't go well. It didn't go. Uh, he and Chelsea Peretti had a conversation in a green room when I was standing there and they acted like, I mean, like literally I was invisible. The two of them were, they had inside jokes and they were going back and forth. And you know, Pete was sitting on the couch next to me. She was sitting on the couch across from him and I was there and I was not in the loop at all. (laughs) I wanted to be, I wanted to be like, Hey, I'm, I'm on the same show. I'm funny. I mean, I can probably trade with you guys and have some fun. Let's go back and forth. But they were, they had such a, a shorthand and they were such good friends already. There was no way I could just burst into the conversation. And I would have liked to have been included, but I wasn't. So then seeing him there at the taping, I thought, oh boy, it's going to be the same kind of thing. And I don't know Finnegan at all, you know, and these are funny dudes. And I was lurking and uh, Brody saw me and he just goes, Mike Schmidt. And, uh, and I'm like, and I just pointed at him and he, and he comes over to me and he goes, come on, 
And he goes, what are you doing over here? And he, he brings me up on the stage. Uh, and I didn't, I didn't talk to Holmes. He had walked away, but I talked to Finnegan a little bit and then, uh, you know, wound up getting to Jimmy and, but, but, but I was included. The fourth wall had been broken because Brody had come over to grab me and bring me up on stage, essentially saying, Hey, you belong up here too. Even though I wasn't in the show, he could see that I was kind of lurking and he was and he, he took that step rather than. <laughs> rather than just, you know, saying my name or what he came and got me, he brought me up on the stage. And, and it was like, he probably didn't think anything about it. But for me, I was like, that was a really fucking cool thing to do because I was, uh, you know, I will admit I was jealous and I didn't know what to do. And I was a little weird and I didn't want to just insinuate myself. And, um, and, and that's, he didn't think twice about it. That's who he was. When I say I saw, I saw him get to do one of the, the most amazing sets I've ever seen, he uh, there was a show that Matt Belknap used to book. At uh, it was called See You Next Tuesday. It was on app because Comedy Death Ray was the the show for a while. Comedy Death Ray was the comedy show in town, and it was the early Tuesday show at the UCB. And then after it, Belknap would do another stand-up show called See You Next Tuesday. See You Next Tuesday is the show where I, I performed with Robin Williams. He did a drop-in, and he asked Matt if he could go up, and Matt said, yeah, and Jeselnik was the fucking MC, and Jeselnik did me a solid again um, by letting me take out Robin Williams because I, I had to follow Robin Williams. So uh, Jeselnik, in between Robin Williams and me, he was the MC, and he could have done he could have done five minutes on Robin Williams, but I had asked him backstage if he would mind if I did it, and he said, cool, and he let me do it. And so I got to make fun of Robin Williams. I got to get that shine. I got to get that heat. And uh, and that was a great thing that Jeslin did for me. And, you know, it's, as I say these things out loud, I wonder more and more why I'm not back doing the thing that I love. You know, Brody did a good thing for me, and Jeslin did a good thing for me. These are people who reached out and, and helped me um, and these are small gestures, certainly, but but they meant everything to me at the time. So I was at See You Next Tuesday, and I can't remember if I was performing or I just hung out after Death Ray. I might have done Death Ray and hung out for Matt's show. Um, but regardless, Brody was closing See You Next Tuesday, and I wanted to watch. So, you know, it was a great show. It's the UCB, of course, and everybody's doing great. And then they bring out Brody to close it, and Brody walks on stage well, first they, they start playing a song. There's a song I didn't I had no idea what it was. But it's just a guitar riff. This chimey guitar riff. Almost sounds like U2. And uh and it's but it's real bright. You know what I mean? It's not sinister, it's just a bright and uh Brody walks on stage and he just walks walks, paces. He he literally walks out on stage and people clapping or whatever and they sit down and the whole song is playing ding 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 ding. And uh he walks around the stage. He, clearly, he has told them to play this song. You know, it wasn't because everybody else got theme music, but he's letting this music go. And he walks around, and finally, he sits down. And uh, there's a part in the song where the drums kick in, and Brody just starts to drum along with the song. And this was the thing Brody used to do. He'd bring drumsticks everywhere, and he would on stage he would do this drumming thing. 
And I remember I used to think to myself, I'd be like, this is the goofiest fucking thing. Like, why is this even a thing? But then you watch him do it and you're like, oh, that's why. Because it's fucking awesome. And so when you watched him do it, because sometimes I thought it was stupid. I mean, like, I'm not going to lie to you. I'd see Brody. I, there were some nights I didn't get it. I'd just be like, all right, I don't, you're just, just banging your head into a fucking wall here. But then the nights where it, where it fucking worked and more often than not, it fucking worked. The nights where it worked, I, and, but I would still not understand how a guy could just yell out his area code and get laughs. Or a guy could just just fucking yell out stuff about being a model in Pakistan, right? You know, uh, he would ask people's name. You, you got your arms crossed. Enjoy it. You loosen up. You know, all this. I mean, just silliness. But it would always, it would work. It would fucking work. And I remember being puzzled by it. And almost, and like I said, when I say jealous, I mean just like I'm like, how can he get laughs doing that? Like I would, you know, I would kill to just be able to walk out and get laughs being that person, being just saying anything. Um, and as I've grown as a performer over, over the years, I can, I can see it was because there was sincerity in what he did. You know, that again, like I said, it wasn't a bit, that's who he was. And so he would just fucking barrel through doing it. And eventually he was going to wear you down. He was going to crush that fucking room and he did it. He just did it. So he sat down and he drummed. And again, it was that dumb thing where I was like, I don't know why this is working, but for that, for me that night, it was working. And he let the whole song play. The whole fucking song. And then he got up and he did that, the, the whole bit again with the, where are you from? Who are you? What's your name? Where'd you go to high school? And he would say what, the name of somebody who went to your high school, like an athlete. And, and I know it sounds silly and the, sum of its parts all broken down sounds ridiculous, but when you put it together and coming out of his mouth and his, the way he carried himself, I mean, he fucking destroyed. I sat there transfixed. I couldn't believe it. I texted Jimmy when I left. It was fucking, it was like midnight because he did about, he did over a half hour. It might've done 35 minutes or something. And, uh, and I texted Jimmy, I, I just watched Brody fucking destroy this place. Um, b- because it was, it was crazy how good it was. It was astonishing because again, people, all right, <laughs> this will sound bad. Civilians fall for that kind of thing. Civilians can see a guy yelling his area code and just being a silly, goofy character, and they they might not know how to interpret it, but they'll laugh, just whatever. Brody used to have a great line where he'd say something, and he and then if it didn't get a laugh, he'd repeat it, and he'd go, I should get a laugh on cadence alone. And he wasn't wrong because the way he was delivering things, you know, it's just, it's whenever he says the hard K sound, or if you do a sing-songy delivery, like there's tricks, but he 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 would crush it. So when civilians would fall for it in my brain, I would just be like, well, of course they did because this is, you know, this is a trick, but comedians, ah, we're cynical. We're a cynical lot. And we, we see this. I know what you're trying to do there. Oh, I see what you're doing. Okay. I see the angle. I see what you're doing here, what you're working. But, but Brody had a way of superseding that, you know, whether, whether I questioned it or not, I also had to admit that coming out of him, it was, it, it wasn't, forced. It wasn't something he created. He was just being himself at an amplified level. There's a way like in pro wrestling, they say the guys who cut the best promos are just being themselves amplified. That's why Stone Cold Steve Austin caught on when they brought him in. They tried to make him like the fucking ringmaster in in some places and they gave him a personality, all these weird, dumb fucking things. But when he just got to be Texas asshole and got to talk a bunch of shit, that's when he fucking went through the roof. That's when fans identified with him because they believed him. And people believed Brody. And you were right to believe in Stone Cold because he was living his gimmick just louder than he normally lived his life. But that's who he was. He was a the Texas rattlesnake. The just a just a fucking 
shit kicker from fucking Texas who could beat your ass and talk shit. That's who he was. And he just put it on fucking blast. Well, that's who Brody was. I heard, I heard a description of him. Someone said that he was like a, uh, a jock doing performance art. And that's, that's a really good way to describe it because he was a jock through and through. I mean, he would, even on stage, he would do bad, he'd do batting stances and make you guess who he was doing. He'd run through a bullpen on stage. He'd show you, you know, yeah, <laughs> leg kick, important shift the weight, lean forward, wait for the sign. I mean, just, and you're like, why is this working? I don't know why this is working, but it was fucking working. It was working because of him, because sheer force of, of will, because his personality was just that big and it was genuine. That's, I think that's more than anything. He was an original. He was genuine. Cause look, a lot of guys work the crowd. A lot of guys, you know, uh, have a character that they do. He was just Brody and he was that way off stage. Like he was on stage. Uh, you know, I, I, one time I was working on, on the lot for, um, Starface and he was there doing warm up on a show. And I just, I, I mean, he saw me from across the lot. He was sitting on a banister. I'm just, and I didn't even see him. I'm just walking. I just hear Schmidt. And, uh, I look at him and he goes, uh, successful on the lot to comedians. <laughs> I just, just. Just magic, just just silliness. And he was, like I said, he was like it all the time. He was that guy. And so Friday, when I opened my phone and I saw his name and I, in my brain, I, I just, I hoped. Like maybe he just got a really big deal. Like maybe he just, or he won the lottery. Something good, please. But I knew. And when I clicked on his name, I just gasped. And then I, I told stories to people to watch. I, I, I found, out, found out live on Twitch that my friend had hanged himself. And then I eulogized him um, because I had to. I, I, I couldn't, you know, I wasn't going to run and hide from it. But that's who he was as a guy. He was a monster. He was a genuine person. And I'm sorry that he was in so much pain all the time. You wish there's something you could do for somebody who's in pain, let alone in pain all the time. You know, he would he would put up Instagram stories or Twitter from his mom's house and Daisy the dog, and you know he would talk about his sister and and I would I remember you know because again I didn't know him well but I knew him and he was always kind to me and he he was Brody. It wasn't even that he was kind to me. He was just Brody. It's kind to everybody, but I can remember looking at his social media and seeing he was, you know, he, he didn't have a girlfriend or he didn't get married or he didn't, I don't know if he dated much. He certainly didn't. He kept it close to the vest. It was him and his mom and his sister and his demons. And I really wish his mom and sister had won, but you, you can hope for anything in the world and it's just not going to happen. I mean, I, I, it's too strong. It's too fucking strong. Depression is a monster. You know, I, I, I've toyed with the idea of thinking that I might have a low-level version of it because I read people want to sleep all the time or they don't leave their apartment. They don't do all these things. And I'm like, well, that's my life's gotten pretty small. That's kind of what I do. I don't go to clubs. I don't do those things. Um but then I, I'm angry at myself for th even thinking that I might have something that would be comparable 
to the force that made my friend take his own life. But, you know, I'm, I'm whatever. It's not about me. It's about him. And uh, I will tell you right now, if you've not seen the Comedy Central show, find it. Find the episodes. Because not only is there a lot of funny, but there's a lot of poignance. As he... You know, there's, there's a great shot where he, you know, he's finally back on his meds and he's with his mom and his sister and he's wearing, he's got a bow tie on. He just looks, he looks beautiful. I mean, he just really looks regal and good. I mean, he just was that guy. Carried himself like, like a, like an athlete. Always. And you see him talking about his, you know, basically talking about his demons. There's, there's shots of him in his room and he's like, I, I don't know why I live here. And I've heard some things, you know after the fact about why this might have happened and, you know, he had gone off his meds for reasons and, uh, you know, I've talked to some people and I, I don't, you know, it doesn't matter. It's like when Prince died, you know, I told you my friend David was, Max was like, uh, who cares? He's dead. doesn't matter. And he's right. I don't, I don't give a fuck if it's fentanyl or a noose or you fell down a flight of fucking stairs. It doesn't matter. You're gone. And it's terrible. It's just fucking awful. And certainly there were people who he meant more to and there were people who were close to him and there were people who loved him and saw him every night. I mean, the guy closed the fucking comedy store every weekend. Uh, Friday, Saturday, he'd be the closing act in the main room. Name on the fucking marquee. And people would wait to see him and they'd meet him and they'd talk to him and he'd become friends with them. And he just, he was a he was the guy who, who, who lit up and touched all of the lives around him. But the light inside him was dead. And it finally got put out on Friday. And it's terrible and it's awful and it's a tragedy because, you know, I talk a lot on the sh- a lot about it on the show that you should spread joy. You should just be happy and be kind to people. Uh, you know, I said, I said on the, the show, I said this, I've said it on here and I said it on the Twitch thing. I said, this world is a fucking wood chipper. If you've got a chance to give somebody a hand up when they're down, you do it. And that's the kind of guy Brody Stevens was. Um, he couldn't take anybody else's hand to let himself get pulled up. And that's, you know, that's a trick of the mind. That's a disease. Depression will fuck with you in ways that you can't even fucking think about. You know, I've read more and more about it over the past five years, six years, just to try to learn. You know, like I said, even if I have a, a, a fucking pictogram of it, uh, I, I just want to understand it. Um, but one thing I will never understand is what happened with with Brody. I don't I don't understand how you could be so. What trick of the mind can lead you think that you want to think that you want to go away, that you don't want to be here anymore? But also, I don't face that kind of tremendous sadness. I don't see that kind of bleak um, future. I don't I don't think terrible things. There's always a reason for me to get up in the morning. There's always a reason for me to move forward and do stuff, whether it's a book I haven't read or it's a song I want to hear or a show I want to do for you guys or, or an email I want to answer. I, I, well, hold on. Let's take that one off the list right now. There's never an email I want to answer, but my point is I, I always have a goal, whether I'm going to the gym with John or I'm, I'm, you know, even if it's something as simple as I'm going to eat somewhere later that I like, um, which unfortunately rules my life a lot more than it should. But I don't understand the idea of leaving this world. I don't. I also don't think it's selfish and I don't think any of those things. I think 
it's a terrible tragedy that someone feels that they have to kill themselves, but if they're in that much pain, I can't be the one to tell them that they can't do the things they need to do to fix that. It's selfish for me to think that my friend is gone and to wish he was still here when in reality, when he was here, he didn't like it here. He tried. He did everything he could, but his mind got the better of him and took him out. And that's a fucking shame. And it's a loss for comedy and it's a loss for the world because he was kind to people at Starbucks and Gelson's as well. He was kind to people in neighborhoods and he was just a nice, powerful, positive presence. And I'm going to miss him. And I think the whole world is on some level. Certainly every comedian I've known is going to miss him because Jesus fucking Christ, I have never seen the kind of outpouring. I mean, we're talking, it's a week, it's a week now. It's just about a week. And there are people who still, you know, social media, they can't, you know, they're now it's, you know, it struck them down where they're not going out and they're sad and they're crying. And it's just a chain reaction because if you can see it happen to him, maybe in, you've got that in living inside you, you think to yourself, well, what if that could happen to me? I, it's just, I don't understand any of that, but I know that his, his, being gone is a tremendous loss for comedy and it's a tremendous loss for his friends and anyone who ever met him, honestly, because he was a good person. And uh, and though he wasn't my best friend and... But, but, but you know what? Fuck that. It doesn't need a qualifier. Yeah, we weren't best friends. I didn't see him all the time. But when I saw him, I might as well have been his best friend. And that's one of the reasons why it's it's so terrible to lose him because he made you feel special in the moment. He made you feel like he was happy to see you. He made you feel like you mattered. And it wasn't a bit. And I, I wonder if he did that and, and overcompensated making people feel happy and comfortable because he could never find that feeling in his own skin. I don't know, man. I'm not fucking armchair, dime store fucking psychologist. All I am is a grieving friend. And, and I, I hope he has found peace. And that happened Friday. And, uh, I finished the stream. You know, when I, I, you know, I talked to people and I got through it and I, and I, I ended the stream kind of early because it, it was fucking weird, man. I won't lie. And everybody was very kind. Again, like I said, they go, Hey man, you can go. And I go, no, you know, you got to fly back into the face of normalcy and make it work. And then, uh, I don't check the phone, you know, cause I, I mean, what's it going to say? Came back from the grave. I mean, what the fuck? There's no news. My, my, he's gone. Brody's gone. So I played games, which seems trivial, trivial and weird, but that's what my life is to a certain extent these days. So I just dove right back in and I played, uh, God of war, more of that. And I only played for like four hours, three and a half. I think I just, and then finally I wasn't having fun. My brain was somewhere else. And, uh, and people were very, you know, I didn't, I didn't use that as an excuse. I said, okay, we're done. Cause I mean, look, it was still three and a half hours. I mean, I'm, st I'm still there doing three and a half hours worth of bullshit. Um, and people were again, very kind. They hung out and we participated and it was great. And then, uh, you know, people were, said they were sorry about my friend and I understood that. And that was very cool. So I left and, um, I went on social media, you know, because I had to kind of find out what was going on. And I went on Facebook 
And I saw a post on Friday from a friend of mine who I actually, I spoke about on last week's show and you know, you know her, I've talked about her on here many times, my friend Maki. And I, I told you I do Maki Mondays, you know, and I think I actually referenced her last week because I talked about her big fucking couch that I could not stop falling asleep in. Like I just, I would, I would go to her house on Maki Monday and we'd put in a movie or whatever, or we'd just be talking. And then she'd have to take a phone call and I would fall asleep instantly. I, I just, because her couch was so comfortable and I was always so fucking tired with my sleep schedule. Um, but then one of her cats would come over because all of her cats had claws and it would claw my leg and I'd wake up. <laughs> I went online and I saw my friend Maki from Maki Mondays and she posted, um, I'm going into hospice. Uh, please include me in your thoughts and prayers and, and then some other note. And I, I, you know, I was already reeling. Uh, and I saw, I saw this on Friday and I, I just, so I wrote her immediately. I, I texted her and just said, Jesus, Maki, I just, I just saw your post. What can I do? Um, cause, cause let me tell you this, my friend Maki, you know, she's, um, she's been dealing with this for a long time. Okay. Uh, I'll tell you my history with Maki. You know, she, she's my friend and has been my friend and been a listener, started as a listener. And, uh, and then started to write me. She wrote me in like 2009, 2010, and we exchanged notes on social media back and forth. And she was always very kind, you know, she liked the show and whenever I would say something, she would pop in and she would give me advice on something. Or if I had a poll, you know, like when I talked about John Cougar tickets with my wife and she would always write me and go, you should do this or here's my vote. And, uh, and you know, you're so funny. And she was always very complimentary and nice to me. And I would write her back. And honestly, you know, I went back and looked at the history of our correspondence this weekend, and, and it's a little embarrassing because, you know, I, I try to reach out and write everybody, but also sometimes it can sound like a form letter, and I don't mean it to do that, but sometimes when you have to answer 20 emails in a day, you can wind up saying the same thing, and, and uh, you know. But that was early in our correspondence. You know, I saw that. And, uh, you know, here, here was a funny thing. She wrote me in... I think it was February of 2013. And, uh, you know, she wrote about the show and how it made her laugh and some things. And I didn't get to answer that note. And then two weeks later, uh, was, was a show called, um, almost, which is when my, my wife wound up leaving me. And I did that show and she wrote me a note that week and said, Hey, look, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm devastated. I'm crying here with you. I, I hope you're okay. And, and very nice reached out. And then I wrote her back and we started to have a kind of a steady correspondence back and forth. And, and then we lost track because again, she's got family, she's got friends and all that stuff. And I did too. And, and then I, you know, I started dating somebody else and, uh, and then when I was dating, uh, my ex, she wound up having a, a cancer scare on her face where she was going to have to go in and get a biopsy done on a, on a, you know, she had already had it once and she was going to go in and get a biopsy done to see if they could, if they had something else they had to take care of. Well, I talked about it on the show and then, um, Maki wrote me, you know, I hadn't heard from her in a while. And she said, Hey, listen, uh, I understand exactly what, what Jill is going through. Um, I'm currently dealing with stage four cancer 
and I've been going in for hardcore chemo and I'm, you know, I'm trying to do the best I can to balance my life and make it work. But I understand if she wants, if she ever wants to talk to somebody about it, if she ever has a question or she wants to go ahead and, you know, I can give her an advice and, and what to do. And I mean, just hearing that she had been afflicted in such a way, I mean, stage four, that's not where I mean, look, man, we're not fucking around at that point. And this is in 2016. So, uh, so I wrote her right away and I said, Jesus, you know, I'm so sorry that you're going through this. This circumstance is terrible. And I, I wrote her a long note and she wrote me another long note back. And, and then I said, listen, if, if you, if you ever need anything, I, I would, you know, I'm here, whatever you want me to do, because it was around that time when also I was starting to foment this idea of being, you should be nice to people. You should reach out to people. You should do, if you, if you can take care of someone or be nice to them, you should do that. Um, because, you know, I, I had started to see Shannon. I was learning more about myself and, uh, and also, you know, my personal life might've been crumbling around me, but I was trying to become a different, better person. So, uh, Maki wrote me and she said, well, you know, the, thank you for the, the thing. The only thing I could really think of, cause she, I should say she referenced this in her note when she said she had cancer, that she listened to me through her chemo. She would save my shows for her chemo sessions and she would listen during chemo so she could laugh through it. And, uh, and it was that really that made me reach out because I, that's, I mean, that's just a goddamn honor to know that when someone was at their lowest, they made sure you were there with them so they didn't get too low. That you were used to carry them through the most difficult moments in their life that when they thought of going through those without you, it seemed unbearable. So they had to wait and save your show, save your voice for the most difficult moments in their lives so they could get through it, so they could make sense of it. And I thought that was powerful. So that's when I offered. I said, if you need anything, you want anything, I'm here. You let me know. And then she said, the only thing I could think of would be if you were to come and sit with me during chemo. But I know you could never do that because you're an hour away from me and it would just seem ridiculous. Uh, so, you know, just keep doing the show and being funny. And then I wrote her back and I said, it's not ridiculous. And you tell me when I will be there. Um, and the funny thing is I talked about it on this show and I talked about, I compared her, <laughs> I compared her to Chloe, the, the woman in fight club who was dying of cancer and just wanted to get fucked one last time. And I said, that was what Maki was because, <laughs> because I'm a great fucking guy, right? Cause I'm, I'm, I'm certainly the best person in the world when I, when I, <laughs> I can, I talk about someone and I'm like, oh yeah, it's amazing that she would use me for this thing. But then part of me thinks that she's like Chloe in fight club and what's going to happen at the time I was with Lily. And Lily's just like, what the fuck is wrong with you, man? But, uh, you know, there's never, there's never a thought that crosses through my skull that doesn't come flying out of my fucking pie hole right into this goddamn microphone for you guys to consume. Uh, and it made me laugh. So I said it. And, uh, and then she, she said that she thought it was really funny. She's like, you know, your, your words of tribute made me cry, but then you made me laugh with that comparison. And that was very nice. And she said, you know, if you wanted to come and join me for chemo. And I said, you name it, you fucking name it, man. I'm there. And that's how Monday with Maki, Maki Mondays was born. So once a month, uh, when she was going through chemo, I, you know, I went, I only went to a couple, like 
of the chemo sessions because they were spaced out in weird ways. And she said, she even said, I don't want you to come to this one. Like she would, cause I told her, I said, when you need me, you let me know I'm there. There's not even like, nothing will keep me from you. Uh, I will come and I will hang out. So the first time I went up, it wasn't even for chemo. I just went and hung out with her at her house and I met her nephew and her brother. And I met her boyfriend, Armando, who was just a, just a good man. And, uh, and you have to be to come home and see this, who's this weird fucking dude in my house. You know what I mean? It's just, uh, it's it to me, <laughs> if I was a kid, uh, and, and I came home and Steve Dahl was in my house hanging out with Lenny. Yeah. It's that, you know, some guy from the radio who we fucking listen to all the time. It's just, uh, you know, it's a different era. It's a weird thing. And, but Armando was just a gentle and kind man who completely understood. And I met him and I got along with him really great. And, uh, like I said, I met her brother and her nephew and, and he was, just this precocious kid and he was climbing all over the place. She had like five cats and he'd come bounding into the house after school. Cause I'd get there around like, you know, noon or one in the afternoon. And we'd go, we'd go have lunch. We'd go to a pizza place that she liked, or there was a deli. I said, you know, you tell me where is your town. So wherever you, you want to go, we go. So there was an Italian deli and we'd sit in the sun cause she wanted to be outside. And I mean, it was fucking hot cause she lived North of me about an hour or so or whatever. And, and, uh, Jesus Christ. I mean, it, you know, it's basically on the fucking sun, but I didn't care. You know, I just, I, I needed it too. I don't get out enough. So Maki Mondays, I would show up and, uh, and we'd either watch a movie or we'd just talk. We'd, we'd just go in the backyard and fucking talk. Cause that's what I do. And she'd talk to me and I, I learned about her history and, um, you know, we'd talk about our personal lives and she was, she'd been with Armando for eight years and she loved him so much. And, uh, and then she hated that she was sick and she felt that she was a burden to him and to others. And she was a burden to herself and she wanted to get back to work. And that was always a struggle. And that it's so funny because I would think to myself, you know what? I, I, I never want to go back to work. I never want to get to work. I never, that's never on my agenda. I'm like, Jesus Christ, I hope I can get back to work. And that was her number one goal because she loved her job. She worked in a, as a, I don't want to get too much into this, but you know, she worked in a, in a field where she, you know, she was very, an incredibly intelligent woman and, and had a really good job. And, you know, her insurance was a killer. Her, her, you know, she got the kind the cancer in, in 2000, I think 15. And we talked in 2016 when she was going through it, she had already amassed a million dollars in medical bills, a million dollars just to stay alive. And that, that is a fucking tragedy. But, uh, you know, luckily she had a ton of insurance and her job paid for it and took care of it, but she was still, you know, it had a five figure hospital bill, still trying to pay her co-pays and things like that. We would talk about that. And, and I, so I went up there on that first Monday and I hung out. Like I said, we went to the deli. We just sat in the sun. We went to her house. We sat in the yard Then we went in and sat on that gigantic fucking couch. And, uh, and it was, it was just a friendship. And, and it became a routine thing. Mondays, you know, I would, I'd pick, I'd text her, I go, what, what Monday works this month? And I would go to her place and, and we'd go eat lunch and then we'd hang out for like four or five hours. I'd, you know, I'd, I'd be five, six hours, whatever I'd leave. I'd get there at like one, I'd leave around seven or eight. Sometimes Armando would get home and he'd bring dinner home and we'd have dinner as well. And, and it was just a friendship. She was just a lovely woman who was going through a terrible circumstance. And I, I just wanted to be part of it. I would go up for chemo 
And uh, I only went up like a couple times for that. And she would, she even said, you know, it's so sporadic. And also they put her on really powerful chemo because this thing would come back with a vengeance. Like she would fight it off and would be in remission. She'd be fine. Eh, not fine, but she'd be fighting it off and she'd be good. And then she'd start to get her hope up that she was going to get back to work and she was going to start doing those things and getting her life back. That's all she wanted. You know, she's, she's 50 years old. She's my age. All she wanted was her life back. Literally, like I said, the normalcy of going to work. I would imagine the normalcy of just waking up in the morning and being able to take a fucking shower and not have your skin feel like it was being pierced by goddamn spikes and needles and your whole neural system alive with fire because they're putting poison in your veins to keep you alive. They're killing you to keep you alive. But it's a necessary evil. And she lived for her cats and she lived for her nephew. Uh, who she couldn't wait, you know, she would read to him. He'd bound in and she'd give him an iPad and they'd draw and they'd play games. And I'd look at the games and we'd all jump in for this, you know, mazes. I would just, it was just, she was doing everything she could to experience every moment of her life. And we talked and it was frustrating for her because she just couldn't completely be well. So, I would go for Maki Mondays and we'd, you know, she'd make me watch Guardians. She made me watch Guardians of the Galaxy, you know, which I hadn't seen and I had no interest in seeing it, but she showed me and now I was like, Jesus Christ, that was really good. You win, you know. <laughs> and we would talk about, you know, her past relationships. We'd talk about her relationship with Armando and how she was so happy that he had come along. And, you know, we'd talk about my relationships. We'd go back and forth and just, and, and we started to fill each other in on every aspect of our lives. Because it was just the normalcy she needed. She didn't need to be pitied. She didn't need to be told. You know, that's. I think that's one of the reasons she chased me away from the chemo. Is that, you know, I went a couple times, and it wiped her out. You know, I'd take her home, and and she'd be wiped out, and she would genuinely apologize. And I would say, you don't, you don't have to apologize. You know, I'm sorry. You know, I'm, I'm so weak. I can't do anything. I can't stand up. And I know this is boring for you. And I, I just that. I'd go, look, it was just like the same thing when she said, hey, man, I know it's just dumb, a dumb idea that you'd come an hour. No, fuck that. I'm there. I'm here. And she'd apologize for the chemo. And I'd say, you don't have to. I know what you're going through. That's why I'm here. I came to do this. I want to help. I want to be a part of this. And was there probably some guilt on my end trying to make up for the fact that I wasn't there for my wife's chemo all the time? Yeah. I won't lie. Did I look at it as a way to right some past wrongs? Certainly. But overall, I just wanted to help a new friend. So I would go spend time with her. She chased me away from the chemo. You know, again, she thought that was a good idea. But then after two of them, she was like, nah, this is because she spent most of the time apologizing, feeling weird. So I would just go up for Maki Mondays. We'd, we'd get some lunch, we'd hang out, we'd talk. And, and, and that was the best part is she could talk just like I can. She would talk forever. She had stories and, uh, you know, stories of costume parties or, the, you know, all these, anything that was normal to her. She was so happy to be normal, so happy. It wasn't like a reflection on a past life. It was just her standing at the starting line waiting for it to get going again. You know, she never looked at it like, ah, my life is over and this is me taking trips down memory lane. She was like, this is what I love to do and I can't wait to get back to doing it. And I, I would listen and then I would talk and then I would listen and then I would talk and I, I never 
would have any pity. I would never say, oh, what do you need? Or I, I didn't dote because she took pride in being able to get up and open the patio door. She took pride in being able to walk to the deli in the hundred degree weather. Cause I'd say, Hey, I can drive. No, no, that's fine. And she didn't realize, you know, I wanted to drive for me. I don't want to fucking walk in a hundred degree weather, but I did because I knew that she wanted to. And it was, it was her way to feel the sun on her skin. And it was a way to feel life to be alive. You know, even if, even if you're sitting there sweating, you're still alive. It's, it's proving to you that you did something, you know, I'm sure there was accomplishment for her in walking to the deli. In, in walking, you know, round trip a mile and a half or whatever, three quarters of a mile one way. And, and, and she was, she wanted to do that because it meant that she was alive. And, uh, I indulged it because I did not want to do it. I wanted to fucking drive because I'm fat and lazy. Um, but I would go spend Maki Mondays. And uh, like I said, this started in 2016. And I mean, I would hear, you know, I'd see her, her social media. It's not like we talked all the time, but I mean, I'd stay in contact with her and say, Hey, what are we doing this month or how are we working it? But you know, I, I didn't insinuate myself into her life all the time because again, she had Armando, she had her family her her parents. I met them. They were beautiful people. And you know, she had a whole life before me and it was still luck. I loved going. We became great friends. But at the same time, it was still a little strange, I'm sure, for the people around her. And certainly, because um, even she said one time, at one time she looked at me and she's just like, "I this is so weird that you're here. And I'm like, why? And she's just like, because I've spent eight years listening to you on, on in my ears every week. And now you're here. And I said, yeah, I know. I you know, That happens sometimes with people. It gets a little strange. Um, but I'm lucky that anybody would ever want to spend time with me. I'm, I'm happy that anybody would see that I have any sort of value to their lives. So, uh, Maki Mondays, it was, and then in 2016 turned into 2017 and, and I'd see her and I'd see her. And then she went into re- maybe not remission, but it wasn't there, but they were trying different chemo than oral chemo and, or they would, and I don't want to, reveal too much, but she started to go through different procedures because things were changing. She was finding masses and then they were coming out, but then they were going away, but then there was a shadow. And it's just that, that, you know, I can't imagine how it feels to live with that uncertainty all the time, especially at that young an age. You know, if you, you know, and then when my mom got cancer, she got lung cancer because my mom got sick in 2013, uh, 2014, I think. You know, and, and, uh, that's right. Wheelhouse when Maki was going through it, you know, and she would write me and, and, and check in and, you know, my mom's beaten lung cancer twice and brain cancer once, but I talk to her now and it permeates her life. You you know, I talk to my mom now, who's going to be 76 in June. And, and the first thing is what's the weather like there? Oh, the weather's this, all the weather here's this. Oh yeah. Well, I go for my tests in March. It, it consumes you. And if you're 76, it's hard. You know, you're just, you're just trying to enjoy the rest of your time here on the planet. But if you're 44 or, or 48, you, you have to be thinking you're getting robbed of your vitality now and whatever life you might have left to live. That's, that's the thing. You know, you, if you, if there was a guarantee that you were going to get through it, 
and you but you had to give up three years of chemo and hard work and and no work whatever the fuck then maybe you make that deal if they say but you'll live to be 80 but the crushing uncertainty has to weigh on you almost as much as the physical like i said she had oral chemo so i mean her veins were just getting fucked and she was getting poison put inside her and 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 she fought through it i mean i you know very i i spent time with maki and and we didn't talk about it you know at length we talked about it every time i saw her but she you know sometimes she'd start to talk about it and she'd choke up and then and then sometimes she could just deal with it matter of factly it would just it would hit her differently at different times and i i could listen and i i could go yeah i this is awful and i'm sorry you know and then armando would come home and hug her and everything would be okay and and until the next day or the next treatment or the next time they found a mass I mean, she would have these weird procedures where they were, they were like draining fluid from her heart. You know what I mean? Like, fuck it. Like, what the fuck is that? Are you kidding me? That's the craziest thing I've ever heard of. Or her lungs would be, you know, they'd have to do it with one lung. And, and you know, the, the cancer would turn up on different sides of her body or there would be a mass. But then it turned out the mass wasn't this and she didn't need to worry about it. And it would be just it was this just again, the devastation you must feel every time you think you're just about to get back to work and your insurance is squared away and then you feel a pain in your calf and then they trace that to something that's on your hip you know, and you just go, what the fuck is happening to me, man? To be betrayed by your body. You know, when you see people get Alzheimer's or you see people who become uh, paralyzed or or you know, when they, their, their legs give out or you just, you, you become a prisoner of your own body and therefore your own mind, because all you're left to do is sit there and wonder and worry. And why me the fuck out of every situation you're in? But Maki never did that with me. You know, she, she would always approach it matter of factly, just like my mom, you know, I got my tests, I can do this. And Maki was always optimistic. Always, always, well, this new treatment should be okay and we'll see, but I don't know what to do. But I'm going to do it because, you know, they say it should help, but I'm not sure. We'll have to see. But, of course, I'm going to do it, and I'm worried about this, but, you know, it's this new oral. That was the thing. I, I can't get that out of my brain, the oral chemo, because that would just way layer. I mean, that, you know, that was supposed to be easier, and if it, it was anything but. So, you know, through 2018... Uh, Maki Mondays started to kind of fall by the wayside a little bit. And I'd write her, you know, I'd text her and I, I didn't, I didn't push, you know, I, I mean, I, I would say, Hey, I'm here, you know, whenever you tell me when, and she would always, this is the one thing she kind of never got over, but she would always go, well, look, I don't want to bother you with, you know, coming all the way. And I'd be like, I, to the point where, you know, I wanted to shake her, you know, just go, look, we're friends. I, I want to be there. I'm not, what the fuck am I doing? I'm doing nothing. So please. Um, and I'd tease her about that, you know, when she'd go, well, you obviously you don't want her, all that nonsense, but I started to see it for what it was in late 2018, because then we, we, she would start to schedule days with me and then she would cancel. She would cancel a week beforehand. She would cancel two days beforehand. Um, she would say, let's do it tentatively. And then even the very next day she'd call to cancel. Um, she said, we, we, you know, we're having friends over or the house is being remodeled or all, there was always a thing. And you know me, I'm a fucking banana head. So in my head, I'm like, is this run its course? Like, do I, does she not want to be hanging out anymore? Maybe that's the case. 
and and that would make sense. You know, she's she's known she had a life long before I walked into it, and she might be seeing other friends and she might be doing whatever. And then um, it dawned on me through seeing a lot of her other social media posts, um, she couldn't have me over. Yes, the house was being remodeled, and and yes, she was having other friends over, but she also couldn't stand up. She was losing this fight. And as much as I like to think that I could have gone there and buoyed her with, uh, hey, you know, this is a, come on, man, let's up and at him, all that bullshit, or even just to give her some normalcy of a conversation about fucking or whatever. Um... I, I I had to realize that maybe she wasn't up to having me come up there. That maybe even walking to the deli or driving to the deli or eating lunch at all would be a chore. And she didn't want to tell me that because, again, out of her misplaced idea that she had to comfort me in some way, by saying, oh, you don't have to drive all this way or although, you know, you, you're never inconveniencing me at all. But I think rather than say to me, look, I, um, you know, I'm, I'm not doing good. She instead would schedule and then postpone and schedule and then cancel. And, you know, I'd send, I'd still send a text and I'd say, all right, well, look, you let me know when. And I, I can, I can tell you that I would, she would pop into my head at random times, like in the shower. And I'd go, you know what, Jesus, I haven't heard from Maki. I haven't seen Maki. You got to remember to call her. You got to remember, not call her. I got to remember to text her. I didn't call her because I, you know, I didn't know if she wanted to talk or she could talk even. You know, if she was that, that, that medicine fucks you up. You've, you've, I know people out there, you, you've been through cancer with your uncles, your aunts, your moms, your dads, your brothers, whomever. And you had to see it take them. Whether it took them fast or slow, it fucking took them. And you just sat there helplessly and you didn't know what the fuck to do. And you wanted to do everything. You, you thought there was anything you could do, you would do it, but there was nothing to be done. So Maki, uh, she would cancel dates. And I, and I would think of her, I'd pop in my brain and I'd go, well, you can't do more than you're doing. You've, you've reached out to her. Um, there, there's no reason... To, to bother her about it. You know, you, 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 and every text I've sent, I've said, Hey, look, I'm here when you need me or want me, you say the word and I'm there. So she knew, and she was never one to kind of blow that off. She got that part of it. But I think in her own brain, she was not ready. She couldn't see me. She just was wiped out. So we haven't done a, a, a Maki Monday in a while. Uh, I haven't seen her in like four months, I think it was four or five months. And, uh, and about a month ago, five weeks, no, no, it was the end of January, the end of January is a month ago. Um, she texted me and she was happy that I was on Twitch and she heard I was playing Red Dead. And I should tell you this, Maki was a gamer. She was a tech geek. She was a geeky, you know, that's what she loved. She loved that sort of thing. She loved comedy. Oh my God, she loved comedy. She got to see Burt Kreischer in December. She was so happy. Um, I think it was December. It might have been November, but but still, I, I just, she loved comedy. She loved to laugh. 
and she loved gaming. So she would play Red Dead all night because, again, she's homesick, and then sometimes she can't sleep, and the medicine would affect her in weird ways. So she had a friend in Ohio, and they would play online together. They'd play Red Dead. And she would tell me all these stories that she'd be playing and she loved it. And she was good at it. And then when the guys guys would find out she was a girl, like gamers wouldn't want to play with her like they wouldn't want her in the posse or whatever. And she was just like, what is, what is, <laughs> she, we would talk about the dynamics of the, of the online experience. And, uh, and she's one of the reasons why I have been trepidatious to go online and play games while I'm on Twitch because I, I, she told me about the environment. You know, once, once people found out she was a woman, they would either try to kill her or they would leave her. Like they wouldn't be in her posse anymore or whatever the fuck. It was just crazy. So she would play all night with her friend in Ohio. And she told me about this game Red Dead. And I had no idea what it was, but she was like, oh my God, it's so amazing. It's, you know, you're a cowboy. It's an open world game. She played Red Dead one, I guess it is. And, uh, and she just couldn't wait for the second one to come out. And so then, you know, like I said, we lost contact near the end of 2018. We didn't really talk much. I'd send her a text a month. She'd answer me back and she'd schedule something. She'd cancel it. And But then I wound up doing the Twitch thing and I, and I got a PS4 and I got Red Dead because I saw clips online. So I started to play it. Well, when she heard that I was playing it, because um, again, I started to go, you know, live in, in December on, on Twitch. And that's when she contacted me. It was in, you know, it must have been the middle of January. And she texted me and I texted her back. We talked. So I wanted to see if I can come see her in January. And she's like, oh my God, you're playing Red Dead. And uh, she said, can you call me? And I said, sure. And this was, uh, like I said, middle of January, maybe near the end. And I, I called her and and we talked for three hours. And and she told me that, uh, you know, she was sick and wasn't feeling great. And she said, you know what, we were remodeling the house and there were friends over and stuff. But at the same time, I just wasn't up to doing anything. So I was, I was right in, in what I had thought. And I said, well, you know, that doesn't bother me. I mean, I can, you can, if you just want to sleep while I'm there. And she goes, yeah, but that's not any fun for you and that's not good. And I go, nah, dude, it's not about that. And she says, well, but also at the same time, I don't want to just sleep while you're here because I mean, if you're coming up here, I want to hang out. And, but if I can't, I can't. And I said, you know what? Yeah. And so then I just went, you know what? You're right. I mean, in, in, I can't make it happen. I can't insinuate myself into her life and, and, and say, well, stop doing these things and do this so I can make you feel better. I would, I just want to make you feel better. Let me come by and make you feel better. You know, nobody, I, it's just, you don't do that. But we talked and we talked and we talked and we talked about Red Dead and she said, how is it? I said, it's amazing. And she hadn't, she hadn't been playing Red Dead too because she'd, you know, been sick and, and I said, well, hell, I'll just, I'll, you want me to ship it to you? You can play it or something. You want me to, I go, I have the PS4 version and I don't think she had a PS4. And she's like, no, but she goes, would you, uh, would you play online with me? And I went, oh, I go, you said everybody kills you online. And she's like, well, yeah, but it just, be, it'll be me and you playing and we'll, we'll get her friend from Ohio together. And she goes, we can be like our own little posse. I said, I, I said, dude, I would do that immediately. I said, you got to tell me how to do it. I have no fucking clue. I go, I've just been doing the story mode online. Uh, or I'm sorry, on Twitch. And she's like, yeah, that's fine. It's easy. You just, you do this instead. And, but there's a way. And, and she started to explain it. And I was like, I, great. I said, you tell me when, when you're up to it, you tell me and we'll figure out a date and a time. I said, I, I've been streaming like, but from three o'clock until late a lot of the time I said, but I can amend it. I said also, and this was, um, right around the time that Mondays became for podcasts. And I said, you know, I, I'm making this shift. So maybe Monday nights would work. And, and, uh, and she said, great. Oh my God. She goes, I'm so excited to play the second one. I haven't played it yet. And I really, I go, 
It's amazing. It's an amazing achievement. I said, I, you know me, I haven't played video games in 20 years. Easy. I said, and so for me to go on and see what they've done, and and I said, this is the, the most incredible thing I've ever played. I, it's the game. And she's like, oh my God, I told you. I said, yeah, but I'm hearing that this is so much better than Red Dead 1. Like just the graphics and the gameplay. I I said, I'm excited for you to play it. And I would love to play online with you just to see you go, wow, I want, I want to do it. She's oh, great. And we talked about that. And she talked about her work and her insurance problems and trying to talk to them and get it squared away. And, you know, it's that thing where your work is covering you for a very, you know, for however long she's been sick a very long time. And, and she's just as frustrated as her work was. And she would talk about this and, um, you know, she wanted her job back and then she wanted to get her insurance. I'm there. They just, you listen is what you do. Because again, unfortunately, people have to deal with the minutiae of that bullshit when they should be wondering how they're going to stay alive, when they should be channeling all of their energy. And again, as I've mentioned, that's just so exhausting. When your every waking moment is consumed with doing something to keep you alive, I can't imagine. And I know I'll face it. We'll all face it. You know, it's that thing where once you get older, eventually, that's, that, that sort of thing will, that shadow looms. For all of us. So we talked on the phone and uh, and it was great. And I said, you tell me when. I'll go online with you whenever you want. And then I didn't hear from her. And I've been, you know, busy, consumed, podcasting and life, streaming. Um. And then I I picked up my phone and I saw on Facebook that she was in hospice. And I I don't know a lot about being sick. I don't know the how do you um how you get from here to there. Okay. The uh how are you all of a sudden in hospice? Like it, it just, it makes no sense. I had just talked to her. I had talked to her three weeks ago, a month ago, and now she's in hospice. Cause she had mentioned when we talked that again, like I said, she, well, they're trying this new medication. And one of the reasons they switched her to the oral chemo was because her veins were just fucking done. She had a portacath in her chest, which, you know, Karen had that too. And that's a miracle because they can just, you know, stick something in your chest and do what they got to do. But when they still got to take blood out of your veins and your veins are so fucking weak from getting destroyed by poison, that's no fun. So they got to play the vein game on your arm or on your hand and try to search for it. And they're just, they're just drawing fucking dust. So she was going through that. And, uh, it came back with a vengeance. You know, I, I found this out when I talked to her, her boyfriend that, um, you know, I saw that she was in hospice and so I wrote her a note. I, I just went, listen, Jesus Christ, I, I don't know how this happened, but you need to tell me what I can do. I said, if you want me to, if you want to, if you want to red dead with me, you want to play online with me, you want me to come down there and play with you. You want me to come read to you. You want me to laugh with you. You want me to breathe with you. You want me to sit with you. You tell me and I'm there, whatever you need. And, uh, I got a text back. And it and uh, it wasn't Maki. It was her boyfriend, Armando. And he said, uh, "Hey, Mike, I got your note. And um, 
you know, if you, if you want to come see Maki, that would probably be a good idea. Um, you know, she's in hospice when, she, when she's here at her parents' house. So why don't you come and, and, you know, whenever, and I was like, okay. And I said, uh, when, when do you want me to do this? You tell me, I, cause I, I tried to put it in his court. I go, listen to me. I know you have so many people you're juggling so many different things and I don't want it to be, you know, fucking grand central station at the, at the house. So when do you need me there? When can I be there? And he just said, um, you need to come soon. And I said, I can come today. This was Friday after I got off my stream. And uh, I said, I can come now. And he said, no, that's fine. He goes, what about tomorrow? I said, great. Tell me when. Tell me when. And he said, uh, he wanted me to come in the afternoon at noon. I said, great. I can do this. So I, uh, I, 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 did some research on what hospice means and I found out that hospice means that you're home and they're trying to keep you comfortable because the inevitable has arrived. So Saturday morning I woke up and uh, he texted me and he said, hey, I know we said noon, but can we make it one? Because again, he's juggling you know, he, he he then gave me his phone number so I could text his phone because he was answering me on her phone and then he answered me from her Facebook account. I mean, all, all these different things. And and finally, he just gave me his number. He's like, and I said, all right, I will text you on your number going forward. And I said, sure, man, one o'clock works. And it actually worked out for me because then I could go, you know, on Maki Mondays, I, I asked her a couple times, you know, because I'd go down there and we'd eat lunch, we'd do whatever. And then I said to her, I go, hey, is there anything you want from up here? Like, I've never even asked. Do you want me to bring anything to you? And uh, she said, oh, my God, you ever heard of a bakery called Porto's? And I said, fuck, yeah. I mean, there's, there's you know, my ex-wife discovered it in Pasadena, and then they built one on my street. Uh, and and I said, you know, it's, it's, yeah, I know exactly what it is. She goes, well, you know, we really like Porto's if you want to do it. So I would just go there when I, when I would go for Maki Mondays. I'd say, what do you want? She'd go, well, I don't, you know, pick an assortment. I go, well, you got to tell me. Is there anything specific that you like? Because I'll have, and whatever Armando likes, whatever Nathan likes, or her, you know, which is her nephew, your brother. I go, whoever wants something, you tell me. And she said, well, they have these pastries that have guava in them. So I, you know, so I literally went to this Porto's. And again, they have these things called cheese rolls, which are just like kind of cheese danishes, but part croissant i mean they're so fucking delicious it's this cuban bakery and they and they are fucking hammered they print fucking money so whenever i would go to maki's i'd go there and i'd have to wait in line for you know 15 20 25 minutes and then i just load it up i go you know give me like 12 cheese rolls and then they had three different guava they had guava and cheese they had regular guava then they had guava rolls which were just like these round pastries with guava inside so i said give me four of those four of those four of those i mean i didn't fucking know man i just whatever she liked whatever she wanted i'd be happy to bring it so on Saturday, I got, I went to Porto's because in my mind, I thought, well, look, you know, again, hospice is about being comfortable and I know she loved this. So I'm happy to go. I know Armando likes the guava stuff, so that's cool too. But at the same time, um, I recognized that they were going to have a lot of people coming through their house. I've learned in the past from wakes and funerals, um, never having dealt with hospice, but if you have a situation where people want to say goodbye, then then it's going to be very busy. And I've felt, well, you've got to have 
just just pastries or whatever. Just to have stuff for people. So I went to Porto's on Saturday, and uh, it was a weekend, and the line was out the door, man. And again, I was in line for 35 minutes this time. Same thing. Give me 12 of these, six of these, four of those naked lady tees, free bowl of soup with that fucking hat, loaded up on the guava, grabbed myself a pair of Danish for the ride down, and uh, and hopped in the car and went. And went to her parents' house. And they, you know, they've met me. And again, I'm sure they cast a weird, you know, I'm 6'2", 340, big guy. They're probably wondering who I am. And, you know, oh, that's my radio friend. That's my podcasting friend, you know. And because her parents were, um, um, like her, her mom, you know, she spoke with a Japanese accent, you know. So I, I, I and her father, I believe, was, um, was also the same. I and mean, we, he, but he had a, he didn't have much of an accent. And he, you know, they were, they were lovely. They were very nice to me always. And they loved her so much. Um, but also at the same time, they were shell shocked, man, because they're trying to deal with the fact that their daughter is so sick. It's just, nobody wishes this on anybody. And, and, and it's all, it's coming for all of us. You know, there's, there's, there's a looming shadow over all of us. So, um, they, uh, they were having her at her place or at their place, I should say. And so I went there, wasn't far from her house. And, uh, I showed up at the portos. I walked in, you know, and, uh, they were very nice to me when I walked in everybody, any of the father, it's that, it's that thing I talked about with my dad's wake life goes on. And so people are uh, trying to have some normalcy. And these are her parents and her mom's in the living room and she's arranging stuff and having you know, visiting with a friend on the couch and her dad is puttering around in his workshop in the garage. And in a bedroom in their home, their daughter is dying. And I, I don't, I will never understand that. I I felt so deeply for them and they you know they they were dealing with it in in with smiles and everything seemed to be fine and it was that thing where in your brain you go well this is I mean shouldn't you guys be I mean this place should have like fucking black crepe up and shouldn't everybody be fucking sad but in reality what well, what's that going to accomplish you know they 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 may have accepted the inevitability and this is how they dealt with it. You can't tell anybody how to grieve. You can't say, oh, well, you shouldn't, you should be doing this. You should be doing this differently. What if you were doing this? Well, there's, there's, that doesn't, that doesn't compute for anybody. It doesn't make sense. You know, let people be who they are and what they want to be. But it still is odd. You know, it's, it's an odd thing. And I don't, I don't have a child to bury, so thankfully I'll never have to have that fucking unique pain. So I came in, and her mom, you know, she hugged me, and I, and I had you know, the portos was in it, two giant bags. They're like, oh my gosh! And uh, and Armando came out, and he was a ball of fire. He's just like, hey, Mike, oh my god! And he, he, he was manic. He was very amped up, and. Uh, and so he comes in and I said, Hey, we got some portos. We put it down and all this kind of stuff. And, 
and uh, and somebody brought brownies. So they go, just lay it on the counter. And Armando comes out. He goes, oh, yeah, put it on the counter. We'll get some water for you. Whatever you want to do. If you want a cherry, whatever you want. To, what's going on right now? Her friend Sonia's in there. And and he's just talking a mile a minute. And uh, I looked at him and I put my hand on his shoulder. I go, how you doing? Because I had written him. I said, look, you got to take care of yourself. Remember that. No matter what, you got you to gotta stay within yourself and do the best you can to self-care. So I put my hand on his shoulder. And I go, how you doing? He goes, I'm, I'm okay, barely. And I could see just frazzled. And, uh, you know, the mom is there and she's talking to a friend. And Sonia was in the bedroom with Maki. And so I just, I just fucking hugged Armando, put him in a bear hug. And, uh, he started to talk into my shoulder and then he started to cry. He just choked up and, and I said, listen, you, you don't have to tell me anything. Just throw some water in your face and stay, stay within yourself here. You got to breathe. You got to take care of yourself. He goes, I am, I am. It's just, um, it's the worst year of my life. I said, I know, I, I know. I've said some more things and I, you know, I held him and, and, uh, you know, and I said, who, who's in there? He said, oh, her friend Sonia, if you want to go in there, that's totally fine. We'll, we'll bring you in. And, but right now I gotta get some water. I gotta do this. And he, he was just kind of all over the place. And I understood why. I mean, he was, he was trying to do everything at once. Because he didn't know how much time he had left to do anything. So he brought me to the bedroom. And I came in and... Uh, there was my friend. And... Um, Maki is beautiful. And she would show me, you know, she had photos of herself from costume parties and these fun. She's just a beautiful woman. And I know that 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 losing, she felt she was losing that. And she did not, and that made her feel awful. And I would, you know, you'd, you'd listen, but what do you do? Oh, you're beautiful. I mean, everybody said all that shit all the time. You know, she's, but she's, she, she's wearing a kerchief because her hair fell out and she just did not feel right. And I, and I knew it. And we would talk, you know, and she, that's when we would really talk. She would, uh, you know, you'd get down to it. And, uh, you know, she's a beautiful woman. She actually commissioned a painting from David to paint her as a pinup with, you know, what she looked like before she got sick with all of her hair and, and all of her cats in the painting. And David, of course, knocked it out of the fucking park. It's just beautiful. And Maki loved it. Oh my God, did she love it? You know, she got it and she was like, she was just so happy. She, <laughs> she loved it so much. So, uh, I went into the bedroom and, uh, you know, she's in, she's in a hospital bed and she's frail and tiny. And, and, uh, Sonia is sitting there at the edge of the bed and she's been her friend forever and, Sonia worked with her at her work, but also Sonia had been a hospice nurse. And so I, you know, went in and said hi to her and Armando was running at the speed of light, trying to get water and help this and shift that and move a pillow here and just doing whatever he could just to keep himself from being idle and having to think about what was really happening. And we talked a little, you know, he talked to me and Sonia and he said it was, uh, it had happened quickly that up until almost two weeks ago, 
two weeks previous to that or a week and a half, she was fine. And then she went in for another treatment and it didn't take. And they were going, they were going to try to search for answers and figure out what they were going to do. And they weren't sure. And they, you know, the medication, what it was that thing where there was another question mark. There was another thing for her to ponder, another thing for her to worry about, another battle to fight. And she, she didn't want to fight anymore. She had spent four years fighting. Constantly fighting, physically and mentally. And doing the best she could. And, 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 and it looked like that she just didn't want to fight anymore. So what happened was when they told her they were going to have to do this, she got sick. And, um, and I guess she went from nursing home from hospital to nursing home to hospice in like three days, two days, just went home. And, uh, you know, Armando brought me and he showed me all the meds she had. You ever see, I have a thing that's like a Monday through Friday for my vitamins because I'm a grandfather. Well, Maki had a month's worth of meds. Uh, and, and also, you know, several times a day, there was like, you know, two Saturdays, two Fridays, you know, whatever the fuck at whatever she needed to get. And then there was, you know, painkillers over here, but then this is over here. And I mean, just insanity. And he's like, yeah, I've got a list here. I got to keep track of this. And there's a little alarm bell. And then, you know, he gave Maki a bell to ring when she needed him. And that was cute. But, you know, she had come home on Friday and I see her Saturday. And I mean, I, she couldn't, she didn't talk. She didn't say hi to me. I saw her and, you know, I sat down and Sonia was there and we sat in the room with her while she breathed. And they'd alternate putting things in her nose to breathe oxygen or to put a mask over her face. And she was so tiny in the bed. I sat at the foot of it. Sonia sat a little further up. And, uh, you know, there's no conversation to be had. Again, Maki was very weak. And I talked to Sonia because, again, like I said, she was a hospice nurse. So I was able to get some insight and she told me some things and Armando would pop in and he was, you know, he's doting on us and doting on her. And, and, and every, every time he would talk to her, he would end with, I love you. Do you want water? And she'd nod or she'd shake her head or she, you want water? And she'd nod or whatever she, and he'd give it to her. And then he'd say, I love you after everything. Do you want a new pillow? I love you. Um, which was to me so important. You, you make it, the last thing you say always, just in case. And, uh, you know, he was, he was all over. And then I looked at him and I go, he's like, I think I need to make a phone call. And I go, and I looked at him and I go, we got this. I go, you know, Sonia and I are here. Uh, if anything crazy happens, we'll let you know, but go, go do what you got to do. Cause he was getting texted and called the whole fucking time. Because again, I guess on Friday, there was a friend of hers who was like, well, I can fly in next month. And Armando's like, that probably isn't a good idea. And then the person came that night and stayed till like one in the morning or midnight or something like that. And, and he was like, yeah, you know, so that, that person was here. And I, I, you know, I didn't want to be that guy. You know, I I don't want to be, you know, this is, this is about Armando and her parents and, and Maki. And, um, I love Maki. She's my friend. And I wanted to come and see her. But also at the same time, I don't want to be a burden for Armando. And I don't want to be in the way. You're there to see someone that meant something to you and pay respects. And do what you can to provide comfort and help. 
So Sonia and I were there and then they had to shift the oxygen mask. She had, she had it in her nose. I'd been there for about an hour and a half at this point. And Sonia, they, they, they wanted to take the one out of her nose and then put the, the mask around her face because it was easier to see that she was breathing. And I mean, dudes, she had a fucking, an oxygen pump. She had a, a bed thing that kind of made the, the mattress ripple so she didn't uh, lay in one spot for too long and get bed sores. You know, it kept the circulation moving. They had converted this small bedroom into a de facto hospital room. And, and also Armando, he opened the window and he had the fan on because he said the heat coming off the oxygen pump. And I felt that it was really warm He goes, I made the mistake of having the window closed and turned the fan off. I closed the door. I came in here and felt like a fucking sauna. I'm like, Oh dude, that's brutal. So he was very, you know, you're learning everything on the fly and he's doing what he can to manage it and, and keep Maki as comfortable as possible. And constantly let her know that she was loved. So they were switching the mask out and he had to move the bed. So he said, hey, can you can we move the bed here? I said, what do you need me to do? He goes, nothing, just move out of the way. I can do this. It's, he shifted that and as he was switching the mask, Maki would sit up and he switches the mask and she looked down and she finally looked up at me. I was at the foot of the bed. And she looked at me and... uh I just waved like uh not like a hi, but just, you know, the thing where you just do your little finger, your, your fingers, you just bend your fingers and kind of wave. I did that. She looked at me and I just winked at her and waved and she smiled as best she could and waved back. And Armando goes, Oh, he goes, she waved at you. I said, she did. I waved at her first. And he goes, yeah, but she doesn't wave. She hasn't, but she hasn't waved at anybody. That's, uh, you should feel very special. I go, I do. Thank you. And, and he goes, oh, that's so great. He goes, you see Mike? You didn't. He leaned forward to talk to her. He goes, you saw Mike. Okay. You waved at Mike. And, and it, he was very happy. And it, it, I don't know if it gave him some hope that she was still cognizant of what was going on. And cause you know, cause she tried to talk. He would say, I love you. And she'd, and she'd say it back. She'd say it back as best she could. So she waved at me and I, I winked at her. I got a, and I got a little smile and, you know, Sonia left and I stayed and Armando was like, are you okay in here by yourself? Cause I have a lot of things to, I said, dude, take care of whatever you need. I said, if something that I can't handle comes up, I'll find you, but we're good. And, uh, so then it was me and her in the room and, uh, you know, I'd ask if she wanted water and, and she did, so I'd hold it for her and she'd put the straw in her mouth and sip it. And You know, I don't know if she knew. I mean, I, I, Armando said she was cognizant and she knew who I was. She knew who everybody was, but she just couldn't reflect that in what she said back. And I, I don't know if that's true or not, but, um, but I got to sit with her and talk to her. And, um, and I wanted to talk because I felt that that was the one connection she and I always had was my voice. And I thought, even if she can't open her eyes, she can't focus, even if she just lays there, she can hear me just like she heard me during her chemo when she would save me for her chemo. Now I'm there, I'm in person, I can just, I can, I can talk. I can do the one thing 
that I know she always counted on. So I sat at the side of the bed and I, you know, I stroked her hair and I, I held her hand and I told her about fancy vegetables and I told her about hunting legendary animals. And I told her she was right about that game and how special it was. And I told her we would get to play together. And I told her how much Armando loved her. And how he was doing everything he could to make her comfortable and make sure she was fine. And he, he was contacting everybody and he was just a, just a traffic cop on top of everything else. Not only a, a loving partner. Uh, and he told me that they were going to get married. They had become engaged a month before this happened. And he took me in the backyard. They were going to get married in her parents' yard because her mom is, is an amazing gardener and, and just has a beautiful garden in the back. And there was a transom and they had planned it out. That's where they were going to get married. And, and uh, you know, he could barely get through telling me. And she had the ring on in bed. And I told her about riding horses and playing the game and how I couldn't wait to be online and play with her if she ever wanted to play with me and and you know I I I did whatever I could to just make it normal for both of us and uh you know so I sat with her for I was probably alone with her for just like 20 minutes and then Armando would pop in and uh you know, he would he would dote on her and he would he would <laughs> he'd rub her legs and he'd fix her blanket and he'd fix her pillows and he would do stuff to do stuff and I understood why. I completely understood why. And uh you know, Sonia, I told you eventually she left and, and um another friend came by, I I forget her name. But she came in a house of fire. You know, tell Maki, I love you. Oh my God, I love you. Please, you can't leave. I love you. And then she brought out a book and she started to read the book to her. And, you know, I, I so I gave her the chair that was close to Maki's head because I had had it for a good 20 minutes to a half hour of being able to talk to her and tell her how much I enjoyed being there for Maki Mondays and and how happy I was that she chose me to be a part of her life. And uh, then this woman showed up and, uh, <laughs> uh, you know, she she read, she, she was reading a book out loud and then she'd look at me for approval and it was just, and I, you know, I, again, like I said, you cannot tell people how to grieve. And this girl was wearing it on her fucking sleeve and I got it again. And she'd known Maki her entire fucking life. So uh, I sat and just rubbed Maki's leg while this girl talked to her and, and you know stroked her hair and told her how beautiful she was and told her she looked forward to talking to Maki on the other side because she had found out a way to talk to people on the other side because she was talking to her dad every day and I'm just going, oh, oh boy, <laughs> all right. <laughs> um, but again, people grieve the way they grieve. And Armando would pop in and he'd say, how are we? I'd say, we're good. And you know then uh, there's always that awkward thing that you know Maki had to use the bathroom 
so I'm, you know, I'm like getting myself fucking scarce and running the fuck out of there. I'm like, nah, no, that's not, I'm not, I'm not going to be here for that because there's, I thought he was going to have to help her to the room, but instead he had a chair and he had to bring, he, once he brought the chair and I go, all right, I'll, I'm going to go in the living room now. I'm going to be so, you know, like it, it's, I'm, I'm not, I've had to go through that myself in the hospital. I, I get it. So, you know, he, he and the other girl took care of Maki and I said, come get me whenever. And I went up talking to her mom a little bit and, and I talked to her dad and, uh, you know, we talked about baked goods cause he's like, Oh, he goes, you can come over anytime you want. I said, absolutely. I'm happy to bring it, you know? And, and that was great. And, and then I popped back in and I, I, I was there, you know, pretty much the whole afternoon on Saturday. And, uh, that girl was reading and then another girl was waiting and I went, you know, it's, it's time to go. Uh, you know, you can come back, whatever you got to do here, but it's, it's just a never ending stream of people. And rightfully so, because Maki was loved by so many people and they all needed to have their half hour in her ear. Like I had. So I, uh, I I told Armando I was going to take off and I leaned in on Maki and, you know, Armando took her friend and started talking to her so I could have a minute. And, uh, I told her I loved her and I thanked her again. And I told her to stay as strong as she could. And, uh, and then I hugged her. And uh, I left. I walked out with Armando. We got on the porch again and I said, hey, uh, you know, I know you have so many people coming and going. And he goes, well, look, he goes, if you want to come back, you come back whenever you want. He goes, obviously. And I said, all right. I said, uh, you know, I won't come tomorrow because tomorrow he went because I knew for sure he had like eight or nine people coming on Sunday. I said, look, um, I can come Monday or Tuesday. I said, you tell me what works best. I said, I'll probably, I said, for sure, Tuesday. I go, no later. I go, but I can come back Monday. I go, you got to tell me though. I go, I'm going to leave this in your court. You know, I understand the parents and you. I go, this is their house. I don't want to be constantly hanging out and lurking. And um, he goes, no, no, it's, it's fine. You know, she loved you. I said, well, I loved her. And he said, yeah, no, she, you were a huge part of her life for forever, for a very long time. And, and, uh, you know, since I've been around. I said, yeah, I, I know. I'm I'm proud of that. And uh, and then I told him, look, you got to take care of yourself. I said, always throw water in your face. Walk out and let the wind hit you and drink a lot of water and do what you can to take care of yourself. I said, don't run yourself ragged here. I said, and, and you know, I know you got a good cop and bad cop people going in and out of the room. I said, but you just, you do everything you can to keep her safe and comfortable. He goes, of course, absolutely. And I knew he would. I knew he would. But at that point, what do you say? What do you say? So, uh, I gave him a hug, you know, and he broke down again, you know, and and I just told him, Hey, look, man, you're doing the best job you can. You're doing the best job of doing the worst job in the world. And he, you know, we talked some more and, and I said, all right, man, um, Definitely Tuesday, but probably Monday. Whatever you got, you tell me. Keep me in the keep me in the loop here. And he said okay. And I got in my car and I drove home. And uh, 
sobbed, you know, on the way to the car, leaving him on the porch, leaving him on his prospective mother and father-in-law's porch as his fiancée lied dying in a small bedroom, not fitting of the task. And I got in my car and I just, I, you know, I was overwhelmed. I, I cried. I, I did, I, you know, all the stuff from Friday with Brody hit me and, and all the stuff that I had just gone through and, and Maki who, you know, I knew Brody. I was friend. Well, I was friends with Brody, but I was, I, I can't sell it short. I was friends with both of them. Different kinds of friends. Both had been a part of my life since I pretty much since I'd started this show, certainly. Brody before that, because I started doing stand up and I would see him, you know, when I got here in ninety seven. He was he came from Seattle. Um and uh and so I left. I got home and uh and Saturday I stayed up really late. I didn't stream. I was because I was going to go home and I was going to go online. You know, I stream every Tuesday through Sunday, and and Saturday, man, I didn't fucking want to. I didn't want to play games. I didn't want to do anything. But you know what I did? I I cleaned my house. <laughs> I vacuumed. I cleaned out my spice cabinet because um, I want to start cooking. You know, so I I ordered fresh spices online. <laughs> I threw away old spices that expired in 2009. I just fucking, I just, I took a fucking power washer to my house. Broke down a fuck ton of boxes just and, and redid my fucking linen closet. Just, just anything. Busy work. With wireless earbuds in my, in my head, walking around listening to music. Losing myself. And crying. Just finding that I would feel low at the weirdest moments. It would just fucking strike me. Like when I saw Graham post the thing about the Cubs, that was that night, and I just, I fucking had to sit down and and, and put my head in my hands. I, I just, it just was just fucking raw. And again, I certainly had a much more personal relationship with Maki. The Brody thing hit me really hard. But I think I'm just susceptible to being hit hard these days. Because I could I could be either of those people. I'm 51. Who knows? Who has any idea? You know, I don't take care of... I, I, certainly, I don't take the best care of myself. So, I, I mean, anything could fucking come up. And it's that age, like... <laughs> truthfully, Sunday... I started to get a pain in my back. Now I lift three times a week, you know, and, and also I've told you, like, I'll be driving an Uber and, and my leg will feel bad. I'm like, what the fuck's that? Well, it's because my leg is in that position for eight, nine, ten hours. Well, then, like, my lat started to hurt underneath my right shoulder blade. And I'm like, well, that's weird. That's new. And then I wondered, well, what if there's a mass? What if there's something in there that I can't get to? Because it felt weird. Like, it, it, wasn't, it wasn't like I pulled a muscle and I wasn't doing anything. All of a sudden, it just started to be painful. And, uh, and so I worried about that. And um, 
you know, I worried about mocking. I worried about going back to see her on Monday and, and, and Saturday night was just, uh, strange. I, w- I went and buried myself in stuff about Brody online and, and, uh, just, I just felt terrible. Because again, to see a light extinguished, to see, to see joy stolen from people, it's, there's not enough of it in this world and for it to be gone is, is wrong. So Saturday was bad, you know, spent the afternoon there, came home and just drifted around. Like I said, cleaned out my entire fucking apartment and figured out what I could do. (laughs) Rearranged some deck chairs on the Titanic, listened to the band, watched for the iceberg. And, uh, you know, I went to bed super late on on Saturday and then I was going to stream on Sunday. And I wasn't sure, you know, because I had finished God of War and I was, I had played it, like I said, on Friday and I was getting constantly beat up by a Valkyrie. (laughs) It was just fucking not fun because again, I had lost my friend and I didn't know what to do and I just, I just wasn't having a good time. So I was like, well, I can go, I can pick it back up on Sunday if I have to. And, uh, cause you know, I wasn't sure what I was going to play. And then, uh. You know, I, I was I was debating whether I should play Red Dead or not. And then I got a text from Armando at 11.30 Sunday morning. And he said, Mike, I just wanted you to know that she's at peace. And so I lost my friend Maki Cook Ruiz. Everyone lost their friend, Maki Cook Ruiz. Armando lost his fiance, Maki Cook Ruiz. Her parents lost a daughter, Maki Cook Ruiz, on Sunday morning at 1130. And uh, I, you know, I texted him back how much he was loved. And how sorry I was for him. And, and and if he needed me for anything to let me know. And then that day I went online. And my mind was made up for me. And I went and played Red Dead Redemption 2. And uh, as emotionally weird as my weekend was. I found catharsis and I had a fucking blast. And uh and I caught five legendary fish. <laughs> and I killed a legendary cougar. And uh there was a point where I found a horse. And in the game you name your horses. And uh you know, I, <laughs> I didn't, I, uh, I considered naming it Maki. And then I thought, you know, this is the dumbest thing you've ever thought. 
<laughs> like I thought I was like, well, maybe this would be like a fun tribute. And I mean, you know, then people would say why. And it would be a thing because there's people in the chat room. And I thought, well, this would be. And then I went, what are you doing, man? This is this is like when people write on Facebook when some actor dies and they're like, oh, my God, it means the world to me. It's like this is this is the most hollow of tributes. <laughs> and, I, and I said, you know what? Don't do that, dude. That is just that is literally that is the the complete epitome of performative grief. So we named it Cantaloupe because it has to come from the show. And I didn't want to stop playing because I know how much it meant to her and how much she loved it. And playing it made me think of playing with her and the fact that she was gone and I I never got the opportunity. And so, you know what, Sunday, I streamed for nine and a half hours because I was having fun, because I was losing myself, because I was remembering my friend and because also I was avoiding the world. If I had a controller in my hand and I was killing legendary cougar or getting killed by him or laughing about it, I didn't have to go and look at photos of my friend who I'd lost or see video clips of my other friend who I'd lost. So this was a show I didn't want to do. I don't think it's a show anybody would want to do. And initially, um, you know, I thought I was going to get in here and talk a little bit about my friends, and then I was going to play uh, the episode I had with Maki. You know, when I started to do Mondays with Maki and Maki Mondays, I'd go there, and then, um, you know, I, I pitched her. I was like, do you want me to record at your place? She's like, oh, my God, I would love that. If you would do that, that would be amazing. So I did record a show at her place last year, and... uh it was a, you know, she was in the room and I did it. I think I almost did like three hours. Um, and I loved it. I thought I was fucking funny as hell. It's one of my favorite shows from that year. And it's called Judy with the Speedboat. Now I look up and uh, I remember that show was almost three hours long. And I see that I've already, I mean, I, I don't know where the time has gone here. I thought I would talk a little bit about my friends and I would put this episode that I did at Maki's house in as a tribute. But in reality, I see that that's not going to be feasible because then you're going to get a podcast that's five and a half hours long or five hours and whatever the fuck. And you're going to go, Jesus Christ, I can't, we can't, what, what they, what's, what's, has Mike gone mad? Yeah, a little. So I won't add that. In the next couple of days, I might upload it separately. But in the next few days, I may also just cry and remember my friend and then remember my other friend and remember the weekend and the weird five days that I don't wish on anybody. You guys can get me at Mike and Mike Schmidt comedy.com. You guys can be my friend at facebook.com slash the 40 year old boy. You guys can follow me at twitter.com slash the 40 year old boy. I'm also available at Instagram and Snapchat at uh, uh, Mike40YOB. And I'm on Twitch every week, every Tuesday through Sunday, although that's going to be amended because streaming every day is turning into a uh, thing. 
I think I got to throttle it down a little bit. So I'm on Twitch, twitch.com slash, oops, let me take that back. Twitch.tv slash the 40 year old boy. You can find me there. And uh, watch the live streams follow if you can, because then you'll be notified when I go on live because the schedule is going to be changing, ever changing. Uh, we've got the YouTube channel. Go check that out. And uh, please remember Ryan Dirks does all of the web stuff for this show. You can find him at facebook.com slash Ryan Dirks. And uh, our good friend David Hernandez has handled art and music for this show. You can be his friend at facebook.com slash David Mex Hernandez. Uh, you can go ahead and check out his work online at his website, artbydmh.com. That's A-R-T-B-Y-D-M-H.com. Uh, if you want him to do work for you, you want to commission a painting like our friend Maki did. Maki Cook Ruiz hired our friend David and he painted her as a burlesque pinup with her cats. It's a beautiful painting because Mex does beautiful work. And Maki was a beautiful woman. So you can't go wrong with that combination. If you want to do the same, you can hire David. Like I said, you can observe his work at artbydmh.com and you can con uh, contact him at facebook.com slash Hernandez. Write him a note in Messenger. Uh, he works in oils. He works in watercolors. He's a painter. He's, he's everything. He's a renaissance man. He does music. He does everything you could possibly want him to do. I mean, he's not going to sell you music. I don't think he'll do a song for you. But he certainly will do a painting for you. What do you want to commission him to do something? Um, he's your guy. So find him at artbydmh.com. Check out all of his work there. And then go uh, find him at facebook.com slash Hernandez. And I don't know how to end this show. I don't. Playing raucous music on the way out doesn't seem to make sense. Um... And I, and I, at this very moment, again, I don't know what I'm going to do. So what I'm going to do now is I'm going to go find an appropriate song recorded by my friend David. And uh, something that I think fits. And I will let him take me and you and my friends Brody and Maki home.
I'll be hoping that 